0: Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm looking forward to talking a little bit about social studies today with Lori Brody, teaching and learning specialist at ESU4. Lori is also our social studies cadre co-chair for our ESUs. And so we're going to delve into looking at some remote learning resources and fit this in as part of a series where we're looking content area by content area at trying to provide educators with tools and resources to help them be successful teaching in that remote online experience. And so Lori, welcome to the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Andrew. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Will you give us a little bit of background on uh, kind of your history working with the ESUs and in education in general?
1: Sure. So I was social studies department at a small school at uh, Johnson Brock for about 23 years and was able to teach everything under the sun. If it had to do with social studies, I taught it at one time or another. So was really excited to get some opportunities to work with the center for civic education, uh, the, We the people program and the project citizen program, and also with national history day and really started doing a lot of project based instruction as an educator and became a mentor teacher in those capacities and found a lot of passion, that I had a lot of passion for doing professional development. And so then when the opportunity arose to move to ESU 4, I jumped at that opportunity. And yeah, here I am. And so uh, my master's is in curriculum and development, but I'm a social studies person through and through.
0: Well, we're going to take a little left turn here from the start then. I didn't know that you did PBL work. And so now yes. I'm really curious to know, could you have like a short example of some of the, like one of the PBL projects that you're, you've are you been invested in? Uh, oh, I really like hearing what those, those uh, end up looking like. And I think that's a topic worth exploring.
1: Yes. So I'll start with Project Citizen. It's near and dear to my heart. Project Citizen is through the Center for Civic Education. And um, the, the students would develop a problem or come up with a problem. They'd have to defend the problem, which was the hardest part of it all. And then they would solve the problem uh, using a variety of formats. And they were very invested in it. And my students, whether it was in middle school or high school, it changed their lives and how they thought about things. And I even taught adults to use that particular process to solve like real life problems but the kids were also solving real life problems and the middle school it became even like a club and i no longer taught middle school because we hired another social studies person the kids wanted to continue doing it they'd heard so many it's like oh we get to do project citizen you know kind of thing and so we started an after school program just to do project citizen and they uh, really went to the school boards and went to the city councils and and did that kind of great work and so um, super cool super cool opportunities with that and then national history day of course is all about project-based instruction and every student of mine did history day and we do it we compete at the district and state and national competitions and uh, had some some real success with that and then we the people is a mock congressional hearing and it's through the Center for Civic Education, and sometimes we go to competition, and sometimes we just do it in house. But the kids uh, had to do like a research a question, and develop an answer, and then so they had four minutes to present that in a group, and then they had six minutes of follow-up questioning with no notes at all, off the top of your head, and boy, talk about pressure. But also this incredible, the incredible impact that those kids, like they, as they walked out the door, they said, this felt like a job interview. I feel like I could nail a job interview if I could get through that. So yeah, lots, lots of different things like that. Those are the three big ones that I used, but yeah, cool stuff.
0: Lori, you you and I are so alike in that we, when you ask us about our pet projects and things that we're passionate about, you can hear the smile <laughs> as you're talking about all these things. And it's just, it's hard to even like be concise. I think about those because you get so passionate and they are such rich learning experiences, right? Oh, I love it. Thanks for, thanks for telling us a little about that. And I'm sure those experiences have shaped uh, your understanding, obviously, of of what social studies as a discipline can be for learners, and I think as our you know current shifts uh, have moved into some of those types of spaces, right, where we're really wanting to create problem solvers. We want to create learners who are are developing strategies and a process for going through those kind of things. And so um, I'm I'm going to ask, I guess, can you kind of walk us through some of the current shifts that that we're trying to maybe move towards now when it comes to social studies?
1: Absolutely. I worked on the social studies standards um this is the third round that i've done social studies standards and so i feel like uh, that's my life at times but even though in previous years we had these kind of ideas in mind in this in the 2019 standards it really came up front like this will become the new way of doing social studies and so one of those shifts includes inquiry instead of the the teacher being the sage on the stage we really want the, the student to start wanting to know why, why do I want to know this? And so having that compelling question becomes essential as part of that instruction. And so inquiry is, is probably the big shift that seems natural to some teachers and not so natural to others. So, so. Can I ask a
0: question in the midst of that? What, why do you think that is, I guess, like what makes it uh, easier for some to pivot to that?
1: Um, I think it's a, Thought process of how a teacher perceived themselves coming maybe into education. And this is just, I have no research to, to back this up. This is just Lori Brody's opinion.
0: That's okay. We're just, yeah, we're just chatting here. That's fine.
1: So, so my, my feeling is that if you went into social studies, wanting to be a storyteller that just tells a great story. And, and trust me, I can tell a great story, but if that's what you see yourself out as just this wonderful storyteller that's going to give the kids the knowledge through your stories, then questioning isn't necessarily a part of it. And the, really the shift in my thinking came from a book called "Never Work Harder Than Your Students." Yeah, where, that's a great where, one. Yep. Where I realized it's the kids that should be doing the work. And although I, I know this stuff already, I want the kids to have a reason for why they want to know this stuff. And so it really shifted my ideas of this is what inquiry should be. So that was, I read that years ago and it was probably before inquiry was even, they were probably using a different term back then because I've been around a long time. So, hopefully, it, it is a difficult shift. And, I, and I've realized that having worked with teachers from uh, various schools, that it asks them to do something they're not necessarily comfortable with because you have to let the kids be in charge of their learning. And, and some of us are uh, kind of controlling, and it's not always easy, myself included, not always easy for me to let go and let them do the work.
0: Uh, And I I think to piggyback off that a little bit as well, one of the challenges that comes with that is that oftentimes when we have an answer or know the answer or can get a student to an answer in a pretty expedient fashion, (laughs) then (laughs) it's tough to have the patience to not... Um, meet them in that place from a heart that wants to be helpful right it's not it's not anything other than just wanting to support learners um, but that that process to learning is rarely expedient (laughs) or without you know it's bumps in the road and so I do think that we can kind of with the best of intentions kind of get tangled up in that a little bit sometimes
1: totally totally agree with that
0: Uh, And so then uh, if we were to like detail these shifts, I guess in, in, so we have one, right? Like identify already. So what are some of the others uh, in addition to inquiry
1: or, or do we
0: want to, I guess we could say, do you want to talk about some resources for inquiry?
1: Well, the best resource for inquiry is the C3 documents. There's a lot of great inquiry resources available. If you just Google C3 inquiry, you're going to find lots and lots of resources. They have lesson plans ready to go for you. A lot of the work that you do with the standard history education group, known as SHEG, they have these all ready to go. Their are inquiry lessons. Library of Congress is also moving in that direction. So most of the renowned social studies lesson plan sites are all, that are free are already doing inquiry. So.
0: And if I'm one of those teachers that does has traditionally told stories and I'm looking to grow in my ability to facilitate class according to this new shift towards inquiry, Mm -hmm. Then on this site, as I access these plans, how is that going to, I guess, speak to me and help me think differently about uh, what I do and, and how I might integrate that into my work?
1: So an example, I'm an Abraham Lincoln fan, love Abraham Lincoln. So I could ask the question, I could still tell my story, but I can ask a question leading up to it of how does surrounding yourself with people opposed to your way of thinking impact your decisions? So just just a question that could be asked to anybody in any given time. Then as I tell my story and then give the kids some resources, primary and secondary resources, to show this is how Abraham Lincoln made better decisions because he had had people that disagreed with him all the time. You know, I think when I think of Lincoln a lot, I think about the reason he was so successful is because he listened to people that disagreed with him. And then he made the best decision. And I believe now in, the, in 2020, we only listen to people that are like us. And there's where we have this crazy divisiveness. And so, so, if I were still in the classroom, I'd be teaching Lincoln and I'd be teaching that whole concept of listen to your enemies because they might help you think through it. And honestly, I'm going to go back to Project Citizen for a second, because in the Project Citizen approach, that's exactly what you do. When you identify the problem and then you start coming up with solutions, you have to figure out who is opposed to this and why are they opposed and how can I address that situation? So, so I would go back to that Lincoln idea quite often.
0: That's terrific, and that's something that how, sort of spoke to my ELA background and brain for a minute, and the, we, I would do that with stories. Instead of reading stories, I'd ask students to come up with plot lines, which is really weird and not something they're accustomed to doing, but what's interesting is when you set a theme and then you have a character that has to learn that as a lesson, then you have to set in opposition to that character, someone who thinks exactly the opposite way in a way that's justifiable, and it was tough for them to put themselves into the perspective of, yeah, what, what could someone believe? believe that's counter to this thing that I'm saying is true <laughs> yeah. and, and really to understand that in a way that's believable, that that, that person could right or wrong, but justify, right? Absolutely. Uh, and so love that. Okay, so we got inquiry and we got some resources. Yeah. Thanks for walking us through yeah. that as an example. That added a ton of clarity for me as well. Uh, so yeah. what's maybe a second uh, shift that we could explore?
1: Well, going right along with that goes the inclusion of multiple perspectives. And so looking at, if we're looking at civil war again, looking at it from not only the white majority perspective, but maybe looking at it from African American perspective, Native American perspective, looking at it from the white southerner who did not support the Confederacy perspective and and, or the white northerner who didn't support the union perspective. So looking at all these different perspectives, to understand that, you know, we can now look at the civil war and say, yeah, that was, slavery was bad. But to understand why they were so so challenged by that, uh, that philosophy. And it might help us understand ourselves in why we, we are struggling with some of the issues we are struggling with today as well. So that's, that's another one.
0: Okay. And, and I love when these, uh, it seems as with the shifts, in talking about one, you end up talking about the next one. And I think that just shows the thoughtfulness has gone into this and uh that there's i don't know we're really getting at a set of skills that have a lot of depth to them too like you can see in these examples so if we're uh, we're focused in on this multiple perspectives what resources are out there uh, to kind of help educators in that particular vein
1: so that's an interesting that's an interesting question a lot of that requires the teacher to do a little digging so It's really not the the resource itself that is is gonna help the teacher. It's more about the process of having the student do the research and the teacher guide them. And so the next key instructional shift for the social studies standards is actually evaluation of resources. So again, we want the student to look at a variety of resources. And as as you look at the C3 document or the Library of Congress or Stanford History Education Group, They're going to have a lot of those ready for you. So you don't have to go back and start from scratch. They want to use those multiple perspectives when helping students. So, but the evaluation of resources, interestingly enough on NPR this morning, they mentioned the deep fake news with Richard Nixon and they being MIT created a video of Richard Nixon making a speech, which he wrote the speech. If... Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong had not been able to get off the moon. So the speech is written, but MIT made it so it looks like Richard Nixon is giving that speech and it looks legit. So it's important for kids to understand that we have to now dig down and make sure that that actually happened. Because fake news is a real thing and that again can be Googled if you just Google deep fake news Richard Nixon moon landing you'll come up with this video that is just mind-blowing just absolutely mind-blowing So more than ever history teachers need to make sure that students are being cognizant of what resources and that those resources are legitimate
0: That's such a tough thing to ask I think this gets back to the theme from earlier to ask of students because it requires patience and it and its attention to detail and it's not well, I want my answer in a click. Right? So whatever is the first thing that comes up on Google uh, must be true, right? And, and so it's, uh, I, I like that. And, and then to layer that in with the previous, as we said, all these shifts continue to uh, be intertwined, uh, thinking about what it means to find authentic sources for those multiple perspectives on any given uh, moment in history is, Uh, is really, uh, I love that as a focus. So where are we at? Um, Yeah, what's one more that uh, we're kind of focused on in the area of social studies at this time?
1: Okay, the next one is civil discourse. And this shouldn't be a new shift because actually this is part of the state law, 79-724, where we're supposed to be teaching civil discourse. This has been a challenge for teachers for a long time because uh, some schools don't want people teaching controversial subjects. My philosophy is that you have to, and you have to do it in a social studies classroom or a language arts classroom, or it could be any classroom, to be perfectly honest. You have to teach students how to talk to each other in a respectful, responsible manner. And so uh, there's a lot of real, I've got a lot of really great resources on my uh, website. And that's just, if you just Google ESU4 social studies cadre, you'll come to a, a, a link that says civil discourse. One of my favorites is called The Spider Web, and it's by Alexis Wiggins. Uh, she perfected it, and I used it a lot as a teacher, and it was totally a game changer. The kids are forced to talk to each other, and they don't get a grade per se in the grade book, but their class gets a grade that gets put up on the wall. And then you compare class to class. And my students really bought into that idea of, it was really difficult to get an A because to get an A, everyone must participate in the discussion. Everyone must ask a question to someone or, or an insight, have an insightful comment. It's not just, yeah, I agree with so-and-so. It's, I agree because, and then add on to it. And so my students really began having very thoughtful conversations they began doing fact checking of each other during the conversations wow. and at one time what was so super cool was it was my senior class we were having a, a discussion on the border wall and i had the ultra liberals and the ultra conservatives sitting in the same room in a circle and i'm diagramming out their discussion and at one point one of the girls said can we just get up and start drawing or writing this up on the board and they started writing stuff out of this is how we can solve the border wall issue And then the best part of it was I got a text that night from a former student who was a sister to one of my my students in the classroom. And she said, I want to hear about this spider web thing. I'm in a poli sci class right now at UNL. And my sister said, if the government would start doing spider web, maybe we could get the Senate and the House of Representatives to solve the problems. And so the kids valued that and wanted to continue those kind of because they truly wanted to hear what the other side had to say and i started hearing comments like how could you vote for that man and it turned into okay so explain how you voted how could you vote for that man and so that it was the same words but the tone changed because instead of being accusatory they wanted an, an explanation and i saw a shift in my students thinking because of of those kind of civil discourse opportunities where kids really did want to start understanding each other and they started uh, again we did fact checks on a regular basis they had their chromebooks open and uh, if someone said something kind of off the wall someone was calling them out on them and you know what their mind was changing right then and there both liberal and conservative and so that civil discourse was really a bright point for my career as an educator
0: wow you know as you're talking and i I started to think through, I think so often we hear the phrase, well, there's pendulum swings in education, and we move this way, and then we move that way, and we don't spend enough time long enough in one area to necessarily, you know, see it to its full fruition type of thing, but I think in, in opposition to that is this idea that should education not be responsive to the present moment in time and to make shifts to create better citizens who are able to further or or in a more effective way contribute to society and the discussions that, that are going on within it. And I I hear these shifts and wow, this is education responding to the present moment and saying we need to equip our our learners with the ability to fact check, to consider multiple perspectives, to ask great questions and then be a great listener <laughs> and to synthesize those pieces. Uh, it's just, it's it's so encouraging and it gets me excited. I'm, I love uh, just thinking through that and what that means for the, the future that our, our kiddos have once they have those types of skills ingrained in them at such an early age. Not to say it didn't happen before to be careful, but right. but when you shift something to the forefront, of it it becomes a little bit more of a central focus. And I just think that that's uh, so needed and you know, the things that you're bringing up right now, uh, as we on both sides of the aisle look to uh, work together for the betterment of our country moving forward. Gosh, I, I got to stop. That just made me really proud though. Um, okay. So one last shift for the time being, and maybe some resources with that.
1: Right. The last shift is Uh, really a strong civics connection, and there was a lot of debate about whether to increase the number of civic standards in uh, the social studies standards, and we really fought pretty hard not to add more standards. That was a, a, a lengthy discussion. It went over many, many months, and although the standards, there's not more of them, they are valuable in terms of these are power standards, if you will, that every kid needs to know about. And so that idea of making kids civic-minded which I think goes back to inquiry and asking questions and civil discourse and all of that. So so you can do civics in geography. You can't do geography without civics because if you're doing geography, you have to understand that if water flow or what have you, political boundaries, what have you, that all comes back to civics. If you do American history, you have to do it with civics in mind, et cetera, et cetera. So, so civics has been somewhat, there's only two major standards but they are embedded throughout the other areas of social studies as well.
0: All right, so having said that, uh, I think that it's important to think about all of these things during what we would call what was normal at one point in time. I do think we're headed for a new normal on the other side of the pandemic, but in the present moment with regards to remote learning, these shifts are still there, and I think we can make considerable amount of progress towards incorporating those into that, what we are able to provide in a hybrid or remote setting. Uh, And I know this because the two of us actually got a chance to collaborate this summer uh, on some projects with some phenomenal teachers, and some social studies teachers. So we had about 75 teachers in total that were part of a remote learning initiative that, that really spanned about one month's time where these, these teachers along with a content area specialists such as yourself uh, and a tech integrationist came together and developed remote learning one page plans that could be shared uh, with our Nebraska educators statewide through our Nebraska OER hub. And so we got to do that. Now there's close to 300 different remote learning plans there and you had a team of about five or six social studies teachers uh, who put together 20 plus plans that would be sensitive to these shifts, but also able to be delivered remotely. Uh, can you talk a little bit to that experience and what resources uh, that group created uh, as uh, something we could point people to for the present moment?
1: Yeah, absolutely so those teachers created uh, some american history projects some geography projects an economic project um, just a little bit of everything and they stretched themselves Uh, it was it was cool to watch them look at something they normally taught and then they tried to come up with various options so if you're remote or if you're on site how you can do that learning and so these, um, these Nebraska OER projects are all linked to the standards. They're linked to several standards, so you can knock off more than one in one lesson, if you will, or unit. But wonderful, wonderful resources that those teachers uh, came up with. In regards to that, some of the, the resources that they were using that are also available to everyone else is the SIT tool, the standards instructional tool that Harris Payne uh, helped us to develop last year. And it is has every standard all the social studies standards, and then there is a hyperlink that has been viewed by several social studies professionals from across the state that validate, yes, this is a good link for this particular standard. He also had a number of us develop what's called the framework, which although it's not a curriculum, schools that are kind of out there on their own and maybe need some curriculum guidance, some help figuring out timeframe, how long should I teach the Civil War, for instance, They can look at this frameworks document that's on NDE's website, and they can help guide their thinking uh, as they plan for their year. And that framework is also filled with hyperlinks that are free open education resources for for teachers to use. So there's a lot of great stuff out there for folks, uh, whether you're, again, in person with your students or whether you have to teach remotely. There's a lot of great social studies resources uh, that are linked directly to these new 2019 standards.
0: That's terrific and this is what our ESUs do right is that we serve educators and we try to be uh, at the forefront of what's going on uh, and then build in resources or find the resources that we can point people to (laughs) uh, to help them best step into those spaces for the betterment of their own professional practices and ultimately you know our learners right and so uh, thank you so much for your support with all of that Uh, and I do know that there were uh, across that entire OER remote learning plan initiative educators consistently said how much they appreciated having that content area specialist as a part of that conversation because they were so accustomed to getting feedback from administrators on their pedagogy but maybe not actually you know the the, the content specific the, the shifts right? right and so it was really uh, phenomenal to have that support and you know, our SDA affiliate really does a phenomenal job with that and in our respective cadre groups. So that being said, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for walking us through all this. And I'm gonna leave you with the opportunity to give us just kind of a parting message to educators uh, as we enter into what is sure to be an interesting fall semester. Uh, but yeah, just kind of a, a parting message.
1: Well, I just, again, this is a difficult time for everyone uh, students, educators, ESU people alike, uh, we, are, we are going places that we don't know for sure where we're going to end up. I'm just going to go back to that idea that I taught with my Project Citizen kids. Start with the problem, identify what the problem really is, and then develop your various alternatives and think through all of those, good, bad, and otherwise, before you find, come up with that final decision. So if we just use social studies teaching in all of our life, we'll all work it out
0: uh spoken like a true educator who's passionate about her discipline I, <laughs> I i just love that i just love that so thank you so much for sharing today and we hope to have you back on the pod soon
1: all right thanks andrew